to the list. forward to Conrad's lesson tonight. You are ready, are you not? <laughs> oh, boy. We had a, as you well know, a good a meeting as is possible to have. The preaching was just superb. Everything about it was great. I know two or three of you had some physical difficulties that hindered you being present, which is understandable at every service. But other than that, uh, almost every member of the church here was present for every service. Perhaps there is another congregation somewhere where that is characteristic. I don't know of one. I've stated to you that in 51 years of gospel meeting work, uh, these last 15 at least have been very discouraging because uh, over half the congregation doesn't come back to the meeting after Sunday. Just don't show up. So if there's a congregation where what happened here this past week at Panama Street happens, I don't know where it is. I hope there are a number. I, I'm just not aware of them, and I know there are many that I'm not aware of, of course, but tragically, I'm afraid that's characteristic, and in my judgment, one of the reasons many congregations do not have gospel meetings anymore. It's discouraging to have a meeting and bring a man in and spend four or five days and over half the church doesn't show up. Sometimes a great many more than half doesn't, don't show up. And I thought, what a marvelous thing in the twilight years of my life to be able, along with Jerry, uh, to enjoy a congregation like this where you don't get discouraged about things like that. There's some congregations where I would not go back in a gospel meeting, if they were to ask me because of my discouragement of the meeting during the course of it in the past, I just wouldn't go back. Just a tragedy. The good meals, you ladies, some of you men, the meals were just tremendous, just excellent. If I see somebody nod off in the future, I may claim one of Mel's traits you might keep that in mind. <laughs> I don't know of another preacher that does that, but there's a point to it. I wondered if perhaps that's the reason he started it. Somebody nodded off, and he thought to himself, I'm going to put an end to that. <laughs> and so he's a, he's a name caller. So if you get just a little weary and you're about to take a nap, you might think about that. I'm going to be watchful See if I need to borrow his trait. <laughs> uh, all right, our lesson for the hour, Great Women of God. Our text is Mark 16, 
1 to 7. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought wheat spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right hand, clothed in a long white garment, and they were afraid. And he said unto them, Be not afraid, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. Twenty centuries ago, some women overcome with grief went to the grave to find an angel where Christ had laid and to learn from him that Christ had risen from the dead. It was not by chance that Christ died as he did or that he arose on the third day. It was, as we love to say about everything spiritual, according to the scriptures. Over brethren, I declare you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you remember what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which was I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Divine wisdom may also be seen in the season of the year in which Christ arose. The resurrection of Christ matches the resurrection of the natural world. Just as the earth was breaking forth from the grave of winter, Christ came forth from the grave that could not hold him. In the grave and in the garden in which it stood, the same divine process was taking place. Go into the field in the spring. What a lovely unexcelled time of the year spring is, which we are presently enjoying. Go into the field in the spring and nature will speak to you of the resurrection. Life is at work in every bud, in the bark of every tree, in the greening tint of every brown hillside. We see it every day, everywhere we go. A month before, everything was still and cold, bound 
in the fetters of death. But now, life is returning to a dead world. Nature is stirring, rising from its tomb, clothing itself in green, weaving robes, adorning itself with beauty. This annual resurrection reminds us of that great resurrection in which and upon which all hope depends. Every year, spring weaves its garlands around every tomb, nature singing the glad song, Christ is risen. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul said, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and you are yet in your sins. What effect did the resurrection of Christ have on the women to whom it was first made known? What lessons can be learned from these godly women of God who came to the tomb to anoint the body of Christ? It was an expression of undying love what these women of God did. What were the apostles doing prior to the arrest and crucifixion of Christ? They were boasting of their faith. They were vaunting their love. And they were floating their loyalty to God. Listen to this sad reading in Matthew 26, 30 to 35. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after that I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. What a boast. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt deny me thrice. Three times. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the apostles. What are they doing? They are boasting of what great faith they have. They are flaunting their loyalty before God. They are vaunting their love for God. Peter said, I will never deny thee. I will die before I deny thee. And he was not alone because all the apostles joined in with that same boast and vaunting of themselves. Where are they now? hanging back in doubt and despair. 
Where are the women? They are on their way to the tomb. Even though they do not believe that Christ is alive. Is it not true that the love of women for Christ often puts men to shame? Mark 12, 41 to 44, a well-known text. And Jesus said over against the treasury, and behold how, beheld how the people cast much into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. How could that be? For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had even all her living. Who was it that put to shame all those who cast much into the treasury? A lowly, poor widow. Select almost any congregation in the brotherhood and reflect upon these questions. Are there more men or women? Now I speak generally about some of these, such as who exercises more personal initiative in the work of the church, men or women? Who does more visiting in the local congregation of the church, men or women? Who sends more cards of encouragement, edification? Who makes more phone calls to check on the sick? Men or women? Who expresses more concern for the weak and the discouraged? Men or women? Who are the better Bible students? in the church. <laughs> Speaking generally, and this one, not characteristic of Panama Street, men or women. Now we all know the answers to these questions. Speaking generally, most often, it's always the women. Mm. What? A beautiful thing it is to behold a woman robed not in a beautiful, lovely garment as all of you ladies are, but in the robes of holiness, love, and service to God. In so many instances, you make men ashamed of themselves. Secondly, the love of these great women of God did not falter in the face of difficulties. 
They were on their way to the tomb and there was not a man among them who could aid them. Who's going to roll the stone away? It was a large stone as well we know. They did not know and their attitude of heart was, we're not going to worry about it because we'll take care of that when we get there. Is this not characteristic of women today? While men often discuss the problems they believe are preventives to the accomplishment of a great work in the local church, women are often on their way to the work, depending on God to work out the problem for them. Is this not true? We know it's true. This is characteristic of great women of God. We've seen it again and again. In regard to so many things, we see it right here at Panama Street. Number three, their love led them to be the first to render service. They were last at the cross and they were first at the tomb. The apostles, great men they were. The best of the best chosen by Christ himself, selected because of who they were, what they were, great men. There were occasions when they could not match these women. This was one of them. You didn't find the women off bragging about their love and their faith and their loyalty and how that they would stay with Christ all the way. They would never deny. They weren't boasting. They were just following to see what they could do to be obeyed. They're still at work while those apostles are off to themselves in despair. These women had witnessed the love of Christ for them. I said these apostles. They saw how far love carried him. They're now determined to prove that they love him in return. If a man's love cannot be captivated by the cross, he is void of hope. Let us reflect, reflect on these well-known verses. Romans 5, 6 to 10. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yea, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we're, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more we shall be saved by his life. And then 1 John 4, 10, herein is love, not that we love God. That's not the amazing thing. How could a sane, rational man not love God? Just looking at the physical world that God has created for our enjoyment. In this time of the year, we see nature springing back to life and we just take glory in these beautiful scenes of nature that God just spoke 
into existence. Let it be, and it was. And then the multiplied material blessings poured out upon us. And then the spiritual blessings. How could a rational person not love a God like that? Herein is love, not that we love God. That's not the amazing thing. But that God loved us. Now that is the amazing thing. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Number four, love is greater than faith. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, are now abided faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. There are numerous reasons for that. Love is common to both God and man. But faith and hope are characteristic of man alone. Love is the greatest thing. Love may live while faith falters and struggles alone. Love can serve as the means for rebuilding a weak faith. How many times do we see that in the Old Testament with regard to some of the greatest men of God? Look at Abraham faltering with his faith. Twice misleading people about his wife to the point that his wife winds up in a pagan king's harem. Oh, the sleepless nights that he must have endured as he thought about where his wife was. Where he was sleeping alone in his tent. And when he places his hand over to where his lovely wife used to lay. Just the cold, hard earth with a piece of cloth upon it. But he never lost his love and his love enabled him to rebuild his faith. Could a man do worse things than David did who claims to have faith in God, commits adultery as Wife after wife after wife to his harem, knowing that God created one man for one woman and that was always God's design. And then murdered a man through another man's hand. Talk about faltering, struggling faith. That man was in the pit of struggle. But he never stopped loving God. And his love enabled him to rebuild his faith. Love is the greatest thing. Jesus has said over and over again, he would die and be raised. And yet the spices in the hands of these women, these great women of God, testified to the fact that their faith and hope were dead. They were on their way to embalm a dead friend, not a living Savior. Even when they saw the empty tomb, that did not quicken their memory of his words, I will rise again. 
an angel reminds them of that truth. But that was not sufficient. Were they ever struggling with their faith? <coughs> Mary saw Christ in the garden. It was Jesus. But she thought he was a gardener. She was struggling with her faith. Their love had outlived their faith and became the seed from which their faith was renewed. Love is the greatest thing. Oh, we're all, and we have and will, struggle with our faith. Failing on an occasion not to do what Mel encouraged us to do and how to resist Resist temptation. But because we are fleshly and we are weak and we are frail and we are feeble, our faith is going to struggle and falter. But God help us never to outlive our love. Because in times when faith falters, our love for God will rebuild and strengthen it. Fifth, love is devoted and sacrificial. These women love Christ in life and they love Christ in death. They followed Christ to the cross and the tomb where they thought he lay cold and helpless. They came to embalm his body and weep over his grave. They knew that Nicodemus had embalmed his body and John 19, 20 said with some embalming Spices and so forth that weighed almost a hundred pounds. But they brought their own. Why? They were not content with what Nicodemus had done. Their love, as deep as it was, yearns to make a sacrifice. That's the nature of love. Their love will not rest until the sacrifice is made. Our love for Christ cannot be satisfied by what others may do. We cannot serve God by proxy. It's a personal thing. Thanks be to the good Lord that this congregation is so characterized by great love and faith. How that is manifested. That no one chose in this meeting we've just had to stay home. Because we all know that the presence of everyone else could not make up for our absence. We cannot serve God by proxy. We cannot give by proxy, attend the services by proxy, pray by proxy. Christianity is a deeply personal thing. Number six, their love was subservient to the law of God. Listen to Luke 23, 56. Speaking of these women, and they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Their love rested on the Sabbath day. 
True love moves within the circles of the law of God. Oh, that the church of liberalism and the church of our Lord today understood that truth. That true, genuine, real love moves within the circle of the law of God. Their love did not make their sorrow an excuse for their disobedience to God. Some allow sorrow to become an excuse for not being faithful to God. Some can lose a loved one and on Saturday and not show up for the services on Sunday. Where do they need to be in the midst of sorrow like that? Outside of in the circle of the people of God in order to be encouraged and built up in their their great sorrow. In the congregation where Chair and I spent 15 wonderful years, 1970 to 1985, there was a couple that lost their son in an extremely tragic manner. I went to because they couldn't bear to do it, into the room where he had just died, looked at that strong, handsome young man, his body yet warm, that had just succumbed to death. They came to that following worship service right on top of that loss to worship God. They knew they were where they should be, ought to be, wanted to be, and needed to be. True love does not ask, how may I gratify and display myself? True love glorifies God and serves man. Now look at the reward these women received. They were rewarded because they kept the Sabbath day demand. They came to the tomb on the Sabbath. If they had, they would have found a dead body. But because they observed the Sabbath and moved within the circles of the law of God, demanding obedience to rest on the Sabbath day. By keeping the Sabbath when they came, they were rewarded by seeing a living Savior. They saw an angel in the tomb. Heaven had not only come to earth, but to the grave, the lowest and most loathsome place on earth. In the very home of corruption, there sat an angel, a son of immortality. Love rewarded these women by finding in the grave not death and darkness, 
but love and light. And they were given the privilege of being the first to tell the good news. Satan is defeated. Death has been conquered. Christ has been raised. An empty tomb. The hope of the world. If you want to view a portrait of real, real love, real faith, real sacrifice, real devotion, real loyalty, look at these women of God who followed and served Christ in life and in death. Your president never obeyed the gospel. We encourage you by faith to repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. If you've done that, need the prayers of the church or need to be restored, we hope you'll come now while we stand and sing. sunshine of love will thou roam farther and farther away calling today calling today Jesus is calling is tenderly calling today Jesus is waiting, oh, come to him now, waiting today, waiting today. Come with thy sins at his feet, lowly bow, come and no longer delay. Calling today, calling today. Is calling, is tenderly calling today. Jesus is pleading, oh, list to his voice. Hear him today, hear him today. They who believe on his name shall rejoice. Quickly arise and away. Calling today. is calling is tenderly calling today closing song will be number 298 <coughs> encourage you to be back tonight Conrad we have the 5 o'clock 5 o'clock for the training class and then kids prep at 5.30 Appreciate Mr. Frank as always and the excellent work he puts into these sermons and teaching us more about God's Word. 298, a new creature. Sing the first and last verses. Buried with Christ, my blessed Redeemer, dead to the old life of folly and sin. Satan may call, the world may entreat me. There is no voice that answers within. Dead 
to the world, to voices that call me, living anew, obedient but free, dead to the joys that once did enthrall me, yet tis not I, Christ liveth in me. Sin hath no more its cruel dominion, walking in newness of life I am free. Glorious life of Christ my Redeemer, which he so richly shareth with me. Dead to the world, to voices that call me, Living anew, obedient but free, dead to the joys that once did enthrall me, yet tis not I, Christ liveth in me.